let's get ready to study God's Word. episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study for today. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you have presented us with your word, and given us the opportunity to understand your will for us. Help us, Lord, to choose life. Give us an opportunity here that as we study together, that we will come to a greater knowledge of your truth, and that we'll be able to share that with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study for today is entitled, You Can Only Save yourself. You can only save yourself. Our passage for this study comes to us from Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh, We'll start with verses 12 through 14. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, Then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. This is Ezekiel 14, 12 through 14, from the King James Version. Very intriguing commentary. Again, the title of our lesson is, You Can Only Save Yourself. Now, want to be clear, if this is the first time that you're hearing one of our podcasts, this is not about salvation by works. Don't want you to get discouraged or perplexed as soon as you hear the title But I do want you to understand that the Bible is nuanced and contextual. Okay? It's nuanced and contextual. Whenever you're reading passages in the Bible, you have to read those passages in light of all the other passages that exist, especially that you're aware of. You obviously can't read it in light of passages you're not aware of, but you have to bear in mind everything that you know about the scriptures. If you know very little about the scriptures, if you're new to studying the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, then when you read something in one place and you read something that contradicts or appears to contradict in another place, don't just discard the thing that sounds the weirdest for you, okay? So if you read in one place that God is love, and you've heard about that, most people know that Christianity is based on a concept 
that God is love on some level. And then you read later that God is about vengeance. Don't say, well, since he's about love, he can't be about vengeance and just accept one at the expense of the other. You should look to see how both of those resonate. Okay, why am I saying that? Because we have a tendency when we're looking at the Bible to pit verses against each other. Someone will come out with a theory or a position or a doctrine. They'll say, such and such is the case, and they'll throw some verses at you. And another person will say, ah, but look over here, it says such and such. The Bible cannot be divided that way. If a verse says something in one place, and it's not being read out of context, and a verse says something in a different place that's different, and is also not being read out of context, then you have to understand how those verses harmonize. In this particular case, we're looking at the Lord saying, because the Lord is speaking to his prophet, and the Lord is saying that in a circumstance where the land, in this case the land of Israel, but broadly he's saying the land when the people sin against God, such that he brings judgments upon them. Even if three of the people in the Bible who were defined by God as righteous or perfect, even if those three people, all three of them are in the land, they will not save the land. They will only save themselves. Okay? I'll read the full passage from verse 12 until... Verse 20, okay. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Okay, so he's saying, if the people do wickedly, famine is one of the things that I'm going to use to correct them. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, meaning beasts, noisome here means aggressive, dangerous beasts that would kill wild animals. If he allows wild animals to run through a land and they kill people off in the land, right? If they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Verse 17. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. 
very powerful passage. Now, many people take it to mean, because it's in the Old Testament after all, that in the Old Testament, people could have their own righteousness by doing good works. But in the New Testament, everything is through Christ. Okay. That is not accurate doctrine. That is not the correct way to read this. And the reason it's not the correct way to read this is because elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that there's only one way to the Father, and that is through Christ. Also, in Hebrews 11, what we call the Hall of Faith, in Hebrews 11, we have a listing of plenty important people from the Old Testament, including some of these folks. Noah is mentioned outright. Moses is mentioned. Abraham is mentioned. David, Samuel. There are lots of people that are mentioned. All of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 are from the Old Testament. And all of them did what they did by faith. So it shows that it was always about faith. In the Old Testament, folks were looking forward by faith to a coming Messiah. In the New Testament, people were looking back by faith on Christ and his ministry and looking forward by faith to his second coming. We are also looking forward to his second coming by faith and back on what he did by faith. And we're accepting that he's working in heaven for us now by faith. It's always been about Christ. Okay. So the righteousness that these brethren have that's listed here, the perfection that they had, was always through Christ, by faith. When Cain and Abel came to offer a sacrifice, it wasn't the lamb that they were killing or supposed to kill. In the case of Abel, the lamb he killed, uh, Cain brought fruits, which means he did not have he was not exhibiting faith in Christ. Every instance of people offering sacrifices in the Old Testament that had any impact, it was by faith in a coming Messiah that they were doing it. So when we read, since the Bible makes that clear to us, when we read that these three men, by their righteousness, we have to constrain that righteousness to the righteousness of Christ. It can't be just their own generic righteousness just because they're in the Old Testament. Because everyone in the Old Testament was saved the same way as everyone in the New Testament will be saved, by faith in the Messiah. Okay, so that's the first thing that we need to get out of the way. There's no different kind of righteousness going on here. The second thing that we need to understand that's very important here is God is saying that if the land do wickedly, which is odd, right? Because land doesn't do anything. He's saying if the nation, if the collective does wickedness and they do sufficient wickedness that God feels it necessary to bring judgments upon them, whether that be famine or pestilence or wild beasts or the sword. If they do that, 
even if these three righteous men from God's perspective were in the land, it would not, it would not be sufficient to turn back the judgments. They would be saved because of their faith in God, their adherence to his will and his word. They would be saved, but it wouldn't do anything for anybody else, not even their children, not even other family members. Right? This is an important lesson for us. As parents, and even as people that have friends, relatives, etc., or even if you're a believing child in the house of your parents, we can influence people, we can be a witness to people, we can be salt, we can be light, but we can't make people do right. And our doing right in their presence doesn't solve their problems for them, necessarily. Okay? Salvation is a personal thing in the sense that I am only, the work that I do for salvation, and when I say the work, I mean my relationship with God, studying to understand his will, praying, fellowshipping with him, building that relationship with him, nurturing that relationship with him. All of those activities that I engage in to draw closer to God and to be in harmony with his will, they help me. They may have an influence on people that watch me. They may encourage people who are near me and who see me. But you cannot live someone's life vicariously from a salvation standpoint. You may be a vicarious recipient of the blessings of a righteous person, but you will not get salvation vicariously. Okay? Example. Because Joseph is doing well in Potiphar's house, because Joseph serves God and is obedient to the Lord, God blesses the work of his hands. And as that work is being conducted in Potiphar's house, Potiphar reaps the blessing of David, of, of Joseph doing this great work. Because David is in harmony with God's will, Saul reaps the blessing of David as a captain in his forces being in alignment with God's will. Laban reaps the benefit of God being with Jacob because Laban's household is also blessed. But Laban can't be saved because of the presence of Joseph, of Jacob. And Potiphar can't be saved because of the presence of Joseph. And the land is not going to be saved simply because Noah, Daniel, and, and Job are in alignment with God and living in the land. The salvation of the people is dependent on the people's connection to God, not on the righteous person's connection to God. Is there a benefit to having righteous people where you are? Sure. There may be protection from your whole land, for your whole land based on that. But three is not that number. Remember when, when, um, 
Abraham asked the Lord, if there are 50 righteous in the city, will you destroy it? The Lord said, no, I won't, not for 50. We get all the way down to 10. And the Lord said, nope, for 10, I won't do it. But there were less than 10. And so what God did in that case was he took the people who were righteous or associated with righteousness out of the city because he had to destroy the city because there were not enough righteous people there to offset the wickedness. Okay, But even when you have righteous people offsetting wickedness, um, offsetting wickedness such that the wicked don't receive a judgment, it doesn't ensure their salvation. They may escape temporal harm, but at some point God is going to say, you guys have to go, I have to take you out from here because that wickedness has to be dealt with. Okay, so the important lesson here, there are several lessons. The first lesson is the righteousness of any individual mentioned in the Bible is always Christ's righteousness. It's always Christ's righteousness because there's no other kind of righteousness that will save. Okay, there's self-righteousness, but every kind of righteousness that is not Christ's righteousness is not a saving righteousness. So anytime you see in the Bible where God is speaking of someone in the context of righteousness, he is implying the righteousness of his son. Okay, first that's the first point. The second point is your righteousness, just like the oil of the five wise virgins, you can't share that. You can um, show it, you can manifest it, you can exhibit it, you can... Um, People can be the recipients of its effects. But the righteousness that you receive from Christ, the robe of righteousness that you receive is a single robe. It's not robes of righteousness. It is a robe of righteousness that you must wear. You can't share it with anyone because then you wouldn't be wearing it. And you need to be wearing it. The righteousness that God bestows upon us, imparts unto us due to our connection with him is only effective for us. Other people may see it and desire to gain their righteousness, to gain righteousness from God like that. They may be driven to search for a relationship with God. They may receive benefits from our presence. Okay? But ultimately, they can't be saved that way. There's no vicarious saving. We all have to go through our own experience with Christ in order to be saved. And that's what God is saying here. That if the land has done sufficient wickedness to warrant a judgment or punishment, then the presence of righteous people in that land will only save themselves. It's not going to do anything to undermine, certainly not three of them. It's not going to do anything to undermine the punishments that are coming. It's not going to help family members who haven't established their own relationship. Abraham's relationship could guide and instruct and direct Ishmael and Isaac, but it couldn't save Ishmael and Isaac. They had to develop their own relationship. And we know that Isaac did. Isaac's relationship couldn't make both Jacob and Esau 
have a relationship. We see that Jacob did. We see that Esau did not. Okay, and so it is. We are responsible to bring up our children in the right way, to instruct them, to guide them, to provide for them as much information as possible. But they must make that choice at some point. They cannot simply ride the experience that we have, nor can they make excuses if we fail. Right? If we turn out to be poor parents and make bad decisions, at the end of the day, from a human perspective, it would seem as though, well, you know, the child was set up because they had a bad example and they were nurtured incorrectly. So it's not surprising how they turned out. But even in the Bible, we have examples of bad kings who had children who were good kings. And we have the reverse as well. We have some good kings who had children that were bad. Each person gets to make a decision for themselves. And in the final events, I shouldn't say in the final events, in the millennium, in the 1,000 years, it will be shown to us how God reached and attempted to reach all of the people who had any kind of background and how everybody was given enough information to be able to make a decision for God. We will see that because that's how God is going to do it. Ezekiel fourteen twelve and 13 and 14 say, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us because it is truly goodness that you bestow upon us. Your mercies are new every morning. We ask you to help us to understand about the robe of Christ's righteousness. We ask you to help us that we will seek for ourselves the robe of your righteousness and seek to um, manifest the right spirit to others and encourage them that they will develop a relationship with you. Please bless us, bless this podcast, and may everything that is said and done be done to your name's honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share his holy word.